Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pine Reads podcast. I'm Adriana. And I'm Sadie. And we have a very special guest with us today. Hi, everyone. I'm Taylor. So today we are going to be talking about something that book lovers might find it a bit of a controversial topic. I know I definitely get heated about it sometimes, but uh, we are going to be talking about book to movie adaptations. The ever going debate of <laughs> is the book better than the movie? <laughs> Usually the answer to that is yes, but <laughs> very true. <laughs> so first I wanna I wanna know what do you guys think like makes a good adaptation? Personally, I'm someone who would willingly sit in a movie theater for 17 hours if it was like line for line the book. So like, I think the closer to the plot you are, the better you are. (laughs) I agree. I feel like as long as it has my favorite moments in the book, which are like more of the smaller details, then I'm more prone to like it. But I don't think it'll ever surpass a book. I definitely agree. I think the closer to the book, the better. Um, I usually have very high expectations when my favorite books get adapted into movies and I know I shouldn't because I usually end up disappointed but not always sometimes sometimes I don't but usually that's that's the case I tend to take it personal too when they like mess it up like you had one job literally the script you already had it (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) same I just I don't understand how book to movie adaptations can be botched like that just doesn't make sense in my brain okay like what makes me so heated is the book was good enough to get published good enough to be read by like millions of people and be on the New York Times bestselling list and all this and it's not good enough to be made into a movie like they have to change it still like why (laughs) I never thought of it like that, but that's so true. Like, why do they feel like they have to change it? I mean, obviously it's good as is. I think my biggest hang up too is um, the casting choices that a lot of book to film adaptations make. Yes. Because I'm like, when I read, I have to imagine someone as the characters. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I when I read books, like I can see what's happening. Like I can very yes. clearly visualize the settings and the characters. And so I pick different celebrities to be like the faces of the characters. So I can see them, I can hear them. And once I pick one and I stick with it, like that's it. There's there's no one else for it. And perhaps that's a fault on my part when it comes to like how I view adaptations but I just I'm I'm usually never too super happy initially with casting choices but I try to keep an open mind until I see. I think that my problem with casting is a lot of the times they don't stay true to the race of the character in the book like they usually whitewash it or maybe something else but I think that the upcoming adaptation of the Vampire Academy series they did an amazing job of the cast because they're like it's a very diverse cast like again they're not staying true to the race of the characters I think but also I'm pretty sure the books are whitewashed anyway so might as well just do like the most diverse cast ever 
And I'm just very excited to watch that one. Let's talk about Sadie. What is your most passionate book to TV adaptation? Book to TV? Or book to movie, um, sorry. Or, or book to movie. Um, book to production. Okay. <laughs> Define passionate. What because this can go in most because I know exactly what it is <laughs> and I want you to talk about it. <laughs> I get so angry when I think of the book thief movie adaptation. Oh my gosh. So the book thief is one of my favorite books of all time, arguably my like number one favorite book. And I was so excited to see the movie. I couldn't get 45 minutes into it before I had to turn it off because they butchered the plot structure so bad. Like there were things that happened super early on in the movie that didn't happen until like the midpoint or after the midpoint in the book. And I was like, that doesn't make sense for the story. That that's like my biggest issue with it. I I didn't really have an opinion on the casting because again, I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's because it was bad and it makes me mad. <laughs> so I did not read the book Thief. I only watched the movie and I honestly thought it was a pretty good movie. I'm not like super passionate about the movie. I watched it once, maybe twice. I'll round it down to one and a half times. <laughs> um, but I can see why you're so passionate because it, it's, a, it's a book that has a very deep meaning, especially with the time period and the, the topics that the book addresses. But yeah, I liked the movie at least halfway. What's better, Sadie, not having experienced it at all or watching the movie? Not having experienced it at all. <laughs> because the okay the book the book it's oh, it's such a beautifully written book the story is just it's heartbreaking and it's it's just it's I I don't even have the words to express how much I love this book and it's it's one that I think everyone should read and the movie just does not do the book justice. Like it's, um, to me, it's almost insulting how much they botched the movie adaptation. And so personally, I think like if you are going, if like your only option to experience the book thief is to watch the movie, then don't even bother watching it because it's just, it's not the same. It's not worth it. The best book thief experience is the book. And that is a hill that I will die on. The passion. <laughs> I'm glad we got the ball rolling on this one. <laughs> so what would you say made this book one of your favorite books of all time? And what's the most devastating part in the movie that didn't like align with the book for you? Well, I can't say like what the devastating part that didn't align because like I said I didn't I never watched the full movie I couldn't bring myself to watch the full movie um it just happened it just the pacing was so off and that's part of what makes this book so special 
is the way that it's paced and every event happens in the order that they happen for a reason right and so it just felt like the movie producers or scriptwriters they just kind of like threw that out the window and that took away a lot of the magic of the book so I was I was really disappointed with how they structured the movie how they paced it because it the book was structured and paced the way that it was for a reason right that makes a lot of sense and like the narrator of the book is death right Yes. And so, like, is that, like, carried at all into the movie? Um, honestly, I don't remember off the top of my head. I feel like that aspect in and of itself is going to be difficult to translate into film. Like, even if the adaptation was great, like, that's just really difficult because obviously we don't see death. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I've tried to block out most of what I've watched of that movie because <laughs> it just it it physically pains me. I think the adaptation that pained me the most because it's just like a so such a minute detail is um, the second book in the Divergent series. Yes. I feel the same way. <laughs> For me personally, like all other events, like le- left my mind because right at the beginning, they didn't have the part where she gets injected with a truth serum. And that was my favorite part of the whole book because just like the imagery was so top notch. And then I was like, okay, I swear if they don't have this in the movie, I'm going to cry. And I, they didn't. And I didn't cry, but I was really sad. <laughs> personally like for the Divergent series I think the first one was so perfect like so close to the book that like anything they did after because they changed the plot I was so mad like I could not tolerate the box in Insurgent I thought that was like the dumbest way they could have interpreted the plot (laughs) and Elysian forget it I I still think there's supposed to be a part two but oh really yeah, I, I heard it was supposed to be, like, structured like the Hunger Games in the movie series, but oh. um, clearly that never happened. So I hope that part, like, the Allegiant we got wasn't all they were planning to do. But, yeah, no, I definitely don't think the movie adaptions after the first one were any good. I agree wholeheartedly. Like, the, di- the first Divergent movie was probably one of the best book to movie adaptations I have ever seen like it was spot on like the everything I want out of a book to movie adaptation and then it just completely went off the rails like I just I have no idea why it went so off the rails the way that it did if they were able to make the first one so spot on like that it, it just doesn't make sense to me right I mean it goes back to what I said in the beginning like why was it not good enough to just stick to the plot points? <laughs> but honestly, though, like, the, the way the Divergent movie, like, took everyone and, like, held them captive, you know, everyone was talking about the Divergent series. The first time I watched the movie, I hadn't read the book. And so, honestly, it just, like, took me. I was in the Divergent hold. It was... 
Oh, definitely. I feel like middle right. school, everybody went through a divergent phase. Like, yes. Everybody knew their faction. Everybody. Oh my God. <laughs> the Divergent and Hunger Games series, like both of those really just grabbed a hold of everybody. Yes, for sure. So I am curious what your guys' stance is. Are you team book before movie or movie before book? Like if you have a choice. I will say book before movie because I've had multiple occasions where I've seen the movie before I've read the book and then I'm like oh I know what's gonna happen and then one little thing doesn't happen and like I just I can't handle like oh I don't know like what's going on what's like I just get totally thrown off and then I don't even remember how the events in the book happen because I've, it's overshadowed by what happens in the movie first. Yeah I would definitely say I'm team book before movie especially for like modern stories um however I think when you're like uh reading classics sometimes it's more helpful to watch like the movie adaptions just so you can kind of understand because the writing is so much trickier but I'm typically book before movie so for Pride and Prejudice movie before book or book before movie oh okay so I (laughs) I I watched the Pride and Prejudice movie like way before I read the book and it's so funny so Pride and Prejudice is my mom and one of my older sisters like it's their favorite movie they loved it and my mom was like Sadie you're gonna love this movie you just have to watch it so because I know you're gonna love it and I was like oh my gosh but it's like from a bajillion years ago it sounds so boring it's just people like I don't want to watch it she's like I don't care we're I'm putting it on and we're watching it so she put it on and I like forced myself to fall asleep so I wouldn't have to watch it because I was just like so uninterested. And I was like, no, I don't care. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and she's like, give me your phone right now. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why? She's like, just give me your phone. I'm going outside. You are sitting here and watching this movie. Uh, and so I was like 14, 15 at the time. I couldn't be like, no. Right. So my mom was like, ugh, fine. So I gave her my phone and she put on the movie. This is the single best movie I have ever watched in my life. Like, I the hold that movie has on me is sickening, actually. Like, it's just the most perfect movie to ever exist. Okay, yes, I understand. I agree. However, I think the way you described the movie is so funny because it's how, like, thinking back on it, I think you could describe every movie this way. You're like, it's just people. <laughs> Why am I going to watch it? It's just people. <laughs> right? It's like, I, I just didn't understand the appeal of like people going to each other's houses. Because that's essentially the plot is people going to each other's houses and trying to find love. I was like, this sounds boring. That's not into it but turns out I am very much into it because it's the best movie ever and then I know you're the reason why I actually watched the movie I was like it's just people (laughs) and you're hyping it up so much for me too Sadie (laughs) I'm literally about to go watch it and I'm like have these high standards it's oh my gosh and it's the the 2005 version have to specify because there's two versions haven't seen the ones in the 90s, don't care to, 
because the 2005 one is perfect. Kira Knightley is the greatest Elizabeth Bennet. Matthew McFadden is the greatest Mr. Darcy. Like, no one else compares. Don't even care. I feel very seen in this movie because of the female gaze. Yes. Like, this is how I would have viewed the situation. And I'm glad that everybody watching is viewing the situation like a woman would. (laughs) Yes. It's just everything about this movie is so perfect. And if you let me, I could go on and on and on for hours about everything that I love about this movie. I like, I just watched (laughs) it again last night too. Because it's like my go-to, like comfort movie, go-to. Oh, there's nothing else to watch. Put on Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) I have the same relationship with The Princess Bride. So we're at the point where I could just like recite the movie. That is my like, (laughs) it's, I am a horrible person to watch that movie with because I will be like lip syncing to the movie the whole time. Did you ever read the book? I'm actually reading the book right now. So how does it hold up? Uh, Right now it's holding up pretty true to the movie but from my understanding the author he actually had like um like was part of the project for the movie oh, and he okay. felt so passionately about the story and everybody all the cast members did too so I think they stood pretty true so I'm hoping that that holds out oh good I think that's where a lot of book to movie and book to tv adaptations like really miss the mark is when they don't involve the author in the process of making the film or adaptation because you can tell when an author has been a part of it yeah true I've seen um on TikTok the author of the kissing booth because there's like a billion kissing booth books (laughs) and she's like totally involved in like the process I don't know how much involved but she's like at least semi-involved in the process of making the movie and she's like very proud of it and I'm like never read the books but I bet they stay pretty close to the books it's just the author's touch um another one that I know stayed really true to the book and I was I was really happy with the fact that they stayed true to the book because this book means everything to me is The Fault in Our Stars by John Green I that book man I know have you guys read The Fault in Our Stars yes it was the first book that ever made me cry so same here same here. <laughs> like reading too <laughs> the and episode that just came out episode four I believe which yes, we discuss four. how deep Sadie gets into the fault in our stars so if you want to hear me talk about the fault in our stars like in depth in detail <laughs> check out episode four the books that raised us but, um yeah that was also it was also the first book that made me cry um, and so I had really high expectations for the film. And I think my only complaint was the fact that they casted uh, Nat Wolf as Isaac. Because in the book, Isaac had blonde hair and Nat Wolf was a brunette. But like at the end of the day, that didn't matter at all because he like nailed the character. Yeah, casting was perfect for that movie. It really was. I At first, I was unsure of Shailene Woodley, but she, like, her portrayal of Hazel Grace just, like, blew me away. I will say, just 
I'm so glad Miles Teller was not like a key character in any way in The Fault in Our Stars because the way he had like the production industry, like he was in every movie that came out, like the Divergent series. He wasn't in The Hunger Games, but he was like very involved frequently. And it just felt like every movie I saw had him in it. And I was so done with him. Well, and he did an... um he did The Spectacular Now with Shailene Woodley. Right. So it was like, I was trying to remember the name of that one because like I could, I, re- I remember that one, but I couldn't for the life of me remember the name of it. I, I'll be honest. I kind of completely forgot that Miles Teller existed until just a second. <laughs> <laughs> I can never forget because I just saw him so many times. His betrayals hurt the most. Who did he play in Divergent? I don't remember. Peter, uh, right? Huh? Peter? Is that his name? Is that? It was either Peter or Edward. And the other, whichever one he was not, was the one who got the butter knife in the eye. <laughs> Which I was so sad was cut out of Divergent. I'm just saying, that was like a pivotal plot moment. And it was a deleted scene. <laughs> he must have been very unlike very forgettable because I have <laughs> I have no recollection of like his purpose he was the character that was always just trying to be like staying alive like he was on whoever's team that would keep him alive mm. he was not a loyalist nothing was the one who got the butter knife to the eye is that Eric that with was- the eyebrow piercing Edward, Eric was the faction leader. Also, I'm looking at the cast right now. (laughs) Will, the guy who played Will, his betrayal heard. But I know we were loosely talking about the Hunger Games also. So I want to talk about that adaptation. I actually thought it was a really good adaptation. I think even... um, Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss was like a perfect cast for that character. Yes. I agree. I've only seen and read the first Hunger Games, but um, I really liked the adaptation. I think, uh, I know in the first book, there's not a lot of like noise happening, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. she spends a lot of time in the forest by herself trying to stay hidden. And um, I think the movie captured that really well. Like just the use of silence as like the tension builder was phenomenal. I thought, (laughs) you know, in the part where Peter's like, he's like hidden because he has the the skills from baking cakes to like decorate himself to blend in. I thought in the book, like I was like, oh my God, so clever, good idea. In the movies, I thought it (laughs) It was like the silliest thing ever. I don't know if you guys agree, but it was just like that. No, never. That could never happen. It was, it looked like way more impressive than I had anticipated it like looking. Right. Like where did you get the supplies to be like full special effects? Like right there in the middle of the forest. And like, how did you manage to like, make yourself look that camouflaged like without a mirror like like Taylor said where did he even get the supplies for that 
how did he manage to do it without getting caught by anyone but also he was injured he was injured while doing it too so like instead of like parachuting him like some like cream to like put in his injury like came to like parachute him like a whole like airbrushing kit he sent him like icing like this is your best medium (laughs) (laughs) the answers we need (laughs) yeah but that was exactly what I was thinking like how did he just like do it so well and like she didn't even notice him until like he opened his eyes I was like that rock has eyes <laughs> like literally looked so out of place and I loved the casting for Haymitch I think Woody Harrelson is like the perfect person for that character yeah he was really good I agree yeah I feel like that whole casting was like really on point though I agree I feel like the whole series really held up I don't think I ever finished the series like book wise but the whole movie series really held up like the integrity of the scene like it was pretty good throughout the whole thing like there wasn't one movie I think fell like really bad I think that they did a really good job with following the key plot points in the movie like I know a really touching part was when Katniss um like laid Rue down and like covered her with flowers and like sang her that song and I feel like that was one of the most important parts um from the book to movie adaptation that I was like really hoping for and I was really happy with the way it turned out yeah I feel like that was like a really difficult scene to like like even in the book I didn't cry like reading that which sounds so awful because that's like the saddest part and like Mm-hmm. the whole book but watching it yeah I think it was like 10 times harder to get through yeah <laughs> I feel like also it has something to do with like when we were younger like because we were younger reading these things so I feel like maybe something wasn't fully developed in our minds to like make us cry at sad things because I was also that way I like never cried through movies never cried through books and like now like I pick up a book and it's like <laughs> the mom gets mad at the kid and I'm like oh my god why (laughs) Why?" like any little inconvenience in a book I'm like oh my god no like I'm crying yeah now that you mention it like that that's definitely interesting to think about because I read the Hunger Games in the fifth grade so I was like 10 going on 11 Mm -hmm. and two like that scene with Brew like didn't make me cry but I was, I just turned 13 when I read The Fault in Our Stars, and that made me cry. I yeah. still don't think another book has made me cry as hard as Fault in Our Stars did, though. But also, I want to mention that maybe it's also because they're more contemporary books, so it's, like, something that happens that's more realistic than True. in, like, a fantasy book. Because I, I've mentioned this probably every single episode of the podcast, <laughs> that if a book mentions cancer, I'm bawling already. Like, and I feel like, you know, The Fault in Our Stars, that was the first movie, like, I ever shed a tear for. I didn't read it, but, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, one single tear, like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but ever since then, like, any mention of cancer in a book, like, tears. 
you know I think that's a good point as well like the fact that they're contemporary makes it you know I think it's easier to empathize with because like we're obviously never going to be in a situation like Katniss where there's the Hunger Games right and we're gonna have to fight for the death in like this weird murder stadium but hope (laughs) (laughs) I mean dystopian after all (laughs) the way Um, this economy is going I mean, I guess I don't anticipate it in our lifetime. Right. Younger generations maybe be prepared, but I don't think that's something I don't think that's something we have to worry about. They're probably gonna experience more of like the Maze Runner Scorch Trials kind of thing going on. Not to cause any like existential panic for younger listeners. But yeah, the more realistic I feel like the more one I empathize and then also I can see myself like going through that experience so it's harder for me to like read that kind of thing yes that's that's what I was I was trying to get at too it's like there's always a chance that the things that these characters in contemporary books that make us cry like what they experience Mm -hmm. there's a very real chance that each of us at some point in our lives are going to experience something like that. Yeah, that I, that's honestly something I never really thought about, like thinking about that that's why that, because like I had read it around the same time as like Divergent and like at the end of Divergent, I mean, it has a sad ending and I don't want to spoil it even though it's been out for like a long time. But I mean, that ending is sad too, but yeah, that that's such an interesting way to put it. Well, on a lighter note, let's talk about (laughs) another bad adaptation. Yeah. (laughs) So the Mortal Instruments series, I really, they really tried for her. They made a movie, didn't hold up true to the book. One of my friends actually told me before I read the book, she's like, literally they made it so that they could not make a second movie. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Why would they do that? I don't know but like the way of the events like they made it so that they could not successfully made a se- make a second movie and I, that's probably why they just never did. I feel like some of the plot points in the later part of the series would have been hard to like sell to that audience like in the books it's fine but I feel like you put it on a movie screen and it's like maybe <laughs> uh I'm in love with my brother wait <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um, I um, did you not know that no I oh. have like no knowledge of the mortal <laughs> instruments I have never seen the movie never seen the show never read the book you're telling me she is in love with her brother it's a it's a misunderstanding it's a huge misunderstanding it's um, a misunderstanding but however love. yeah okay go we ahead, still go. ship it we still ship it <laughs> so <laughs> So they fall in love before they even realize that they're siblings. And then they try to stay away from each other. And they're like, no, I can't. I love you too much. And then do they get back together and then realize that they're not brother and sister? Is that how it goes? Yeah, I I think there's like a little, no, they try. But then she has that romantic relationship with Simon to like completely Mm -hmm. distract herself from James. And I'm like, we all know what you're trying to do. Wait. They're not actually brother and sister. They think that they are, but then it turns out that they're not. 
yeah yeah but they but, do like still yeah. kiss like while they think they're brother and sister <laughs> yeah it's something that i feel like shadowhunter chronicle fans are just like mm, okay you know uh, we have to kind of overlook that part but then people who don't like the shadow hunters are like this is the reason why i don't like it but i love my brother part is just like that's too much for them and they can't get over it sadie the look on your face <laughs> i i can't even wrap my head around that is like a plot point okay so you know how in romance books they like fall in love and then there's always something like they're good and then there's always something that tears them apart and then they like get over it and fall in love again uh-huh the brother that? and sister the brother and sister part like the misunderstanding it was the part that like broke them apart and then they got over it because they figured out they weren't brother and sister not just because like they ignored that part <laughs> but that they realized that they were not related in any way shape or form Okay. I I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around is of all the ways <laughs> to accomplish a breakup and makeup scenario, why make it that? Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we all like, I don't know. It's just like, when you're a fan of the mortal instruments you just defend it you shouldn't yeah but you're like it's okay because we know it's not true yeah it's, it's like that uh i pretend i do not see meme <laughs> yeah. wow okay um to be fair though that's the only of her series that has that trope in it granted it has that trope in it twice but none of her other series do so <laughs> Yeah, you just, I just love, like, the world building she does, and, like, I don't know how to, like, I guess, like, the world that she builds, like, with, like, the downworlders and the vampires and werewolves and everything else, I like that so much that all of her other series stand strong enough that the Mortal Instruments, the whole issue in the Mortal Instruments is not an issue. <laughs> Yeah, I um, agree. So I have a question about the Mortal Instruments movie because I want to make sure I have this little fun fact right. Okay. So Simon, he's the one that he has like the curly hair and glasses, right? Yes. Okay, so this is what I do know about the Mortal Instruments. The guy who plays Simon is the actor Robert Sheehan, who is also in the Umbrella Academy. He plays Klaus. And the Umbrella Academy is based off a comic book series written by Gerard Way, who is the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, My Chemical Romance. You have all of that correct. <laughs> I love the Umbrella Academy. I still haven't seen the other season. Get on it. It's so good. <laughs> I have too much to read. <laughs> Honestly, too many books, not enough time. Too many books, True. not enough time. Too much TV movies, not enough time. <laughs> um, but then they they went real hard. They realized their mistakes with the movie. And they went for the TV show. And they ruined it ten times more than the movie did. <laughs> yeah, they, it was pretty bad. <laughs> How many seasons did they even get into it with? I think four. 
Are you kidding? I think. That must suck so bad for the fans of this book series to have the adaptation botched, not just once, but twice. It was only three seasons. Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. But I mean, at first, everyone was excited because we got what we wanted. They were turning it into a TV series, which is what every book lover wants for their favorite book series. Because, you know, a book is a season, a chapter is an episode, that kind of mentality. So I was excited. (laughs) And they threw that out the window. Yeah. Honestly, the first couple of episodes, I was like, this is already not it. Yeah. Um, I really tried. I got a little over halfway through the first season before I gave up. I tried again. I really did try again. And then I just couldn't do it. I, like, I was able to get through majority of the first season. It wasn't until the Malik episode that I said that's enough. Malik is my number one ship of all time. Like, nothing can compare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I waited five long books for that to uh, ever happen. Right. And the fact that, like, within, like, 10 or 11 episodes into the season, you got what I waited for forever. Um, I was really deeply hurt. And it didn't even, like, happen in the right way. It's like Right. Sadie, if you don't know, Malik is the warlock Magnus and the shadow hunter Alec. They have a romance, but it took a long time for Alec to feel comfortable with himself, to be with another man. But also, he was in love with Jace the whole time. Spoiler, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So he had to get over his first love to be with his true love. That At that point, like, that feels like a personal attack like yeah it's kind of so much it it reminds me of kind of that joke like maybe not our parents but like our parents parents are like I had to walk to school and back and like four miles of snow in the winter (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you're complaining it's like upset that this newer generation has it quote better than what what you had so like they get the malik before us (laughs) i oh man i would have been so so upset (laughs) i was so upset and like i did have friends who like just watched the tv show and didn't read the books and they're like it's the greatest thing of all time and i'm like don't even talk to me (laughs) i was like it is not (laughs) But also the movie did like a a Malik moment for a minute too, huh? Yeah, at the briefly at the party and then when he comes back to the infirmary. Um, yeah. Which which is all which is accurate because they do right. like exchange glances and stuff at the party and, and at the end again. So like that was done like really, really well. They I just, just don't think the casting was right for Alec. Okay, but no one can measure up to Alec. (laughs) 
You know, and that brings up Jace as well. Um, nobody can rush out to Jace either. Yeah, I agree. I will say I liked Jamie more than Dom as, as Jace. Yes, and I think for me, it was just the fact that he had long hair. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the movie Jace was more authentic in his bad boyness, and then the TV show Jace, like, I felt like it was forced. Yeah, Dominic Sherwood has too much of a pretty face, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like the casting can really make or break an adaptation. Like, so Looking for Alaska just got, not just, but it was fairly recently, was just adapted into a TV series for Hulu. And it's it was like over 10 years in the making. Like it was originally supposed to be a movie, like the rights were bought and then nothing ever came of it. And I think the rights, like, the ownership expired so then it got picked up again and it got picked up for a show on Hulu and that's like one of the few books that I've ever read more than once like I have a hard time rereading books that I've already read but I read Looking for Alaska twice and I had like very specific images of the characters in my head that when the like the the casting announcement for the tv show came out and like all of them were nothing like what I imagined like I just cannot bring myself to watch the show because I'm terrified of it like being so bad yeah I did watch um a good amount of the show I never read the books but I don't know if this is spoiler for anybody who hasn't read the book or watched the movie but I was like really shook when Alaska died because I'm like, the whole book is centralized on Alaska. I'm like, this is a joke, right? And it wasn't. And I think that was when I gave up. I did not, like, to be fair, the only John Green book I ever read was Felt in Our Stars. I did not know that Alaska died in Looking for Alaska, so. Well, it, it sounds like I'm the only one that's read the book. So the way that the book is structured um, and if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have my copy on hand at the moment, so I can't check, but I'm pretty sure it's split into two parts, before and after. So the before okay. is, you know, before Alaska dies, the after is after Alaska dies. Um, it's, a, I want to say it's not fully halfway, but it's like a little more than halfway, but yeah, so that's like it's it's split up in between two stories. So the story of Alaska before and the story of Alaska after, or like after Alaska. I guess that whole series left me very unsatisfied. Yeah, I from the book, the ending. It was never you were never meant to get answers as right. to what happened, like a. The big part of the after is um, Miles or Pudge, I think is his his nickname. Um, He kind of becomes obsessed with searching for answers. And kind of the whole message is like, you're not going to get answers for everything. Like, 
there's no grand reason, no big why as to why things happened. Sometimes they just do. Yeah, I was just, it's not even that I didn't have answers, but I was just like so unsatisfied with everything, I guess, because Taylor, um, Alaska was like a character that like collected all these books. And so she had a library of books that she just brought with her everywhere because I don't know, she brought like the whole library everywhere with her. And she's like, this is my life library. Like, I'm going to read these all before I die. And she doesn't. And it just, so devastating. I did not know that that was, like, the whole, like, premises of the book. Like, that would not be, like, what I expected. Yeah, so I went into the book, like, really having no idea what it was going to be about. So everything was just, like, a total surprise to me. And I, I really liked it. I will say, like, looking back at it now, like, through an adult lens, the way that these teenagers act, acted was, like, very unrealistic. And Alaska yeah. was low-key kind of annoying. Like she's, she has a very pretentious character. She's the kind of character that literally, like, didn't care about what anyone else thought. And she just did her but, own thing. Yeah, but I think it was necessary that she was like that for the purpose of the story. Yeah. I think my biggest grievance with that book, and it's such a small thing, it's so stupid, but it's the fact that they call the, the, the deep fried bean burritos, Euphoritos. Maybe it's because we're from Tucson and legend, ha- legend has it that they were invented here in Tucson from the El Charo restaurant. A deep fried burrito is a chimichanga. Right. Like, John Green. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, John. <laughs> yeah, that was my biggest grievance. <laughs> okay, I think the weirdest thing in that book, like, who even thinks of this stuff? The character, what was the guy character? Is it Miles? Miles. Yeah. So Miles is, like, obsessed with like the last words that people have before they die like he's obsessed with that like so he knows like everybody's last words before they die like famous people and I'm like who even thinks like who even thinks of that see and that's that's what I was saying like it's the way that these teenagers act is like very unrealistic but I mean given the time that the book came out like it it makes sense to me like it it works for the story even if it doesn't work for real life that makes sense um because a little off topic here but I have been like during the summer I was watching Dawson's Creek because it was just on Netflix and I was also like teenagers don't talk about it like I don't talk like this they would always say um subtext they use analysis words in like everyday like conversations so so they're always like Dawson your subtext like I shouldn't have to think about that blah 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 like they're always analyzing other people like using terms like subtext and like stuff like that like what like what teenager talks like that I would not want to be friends with someone who talked like that like please get out of here with your pretentious self like I just don't understand like why the writers thought that that's the way teenagers talk like I feel like not just even teenagers like nobody talks like that right and it's like is it just 
the time? Like, did teenagers speak more, quote-unquote, eloquently, I guess? Speaking of people who seem like they would speak in literary terms, let's talk about Edward and Bella. I can, okay, I, I don't know if it's, like, something that I should be ashamed of or not, but I never read Twilight, and it's because, like, when it first came out, I was nine, and I don't think those books were appropriate for a nine-year-old to read. Um, and then when I got into the movies, I was like 12 or 13. And at that point, you hear so much about like why people hate the movies and hate the books that you're like, yes. ah, then I just like won't bother. So, um, but I did watch the movies. And Me too. I love and- the movies, especially with their return to popularity lately loving it what about you Sadie I love Twilight and I think we we talked about this I think in episode four um I read the series backwards I never finished it but I started the first Twilight book I read was Breaking Dawn and I read it in the fourth grade when I was 10 and that's because I'd seen uh all the movies up until then I think Breaking Dawn was like the last one getting ready to come out so I was like oh well I mean I've seen Twilight New Moon and Eclipse I'll just read Breaking Dawn before the movie comes out and so I did (laughs) yeah I like don't know why I was allowed to read it at 10 (laughs) but I was I'm asking the same question I think what helped is my mom read it. She like had read the whole series before the movies came out. So I, she's the one that said I could read it. So I don't, I think if she thought it wouldn't be appropriate for me to read at 10, she wouldn't have let me read it. Me recommending books to my mom. Okay, I read this is good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how the turntables. Yep. I've always loved Twilight in the movies. Like, I guess looking at it, like, from, like, a film analysis perspective, they're not the best. Okay, even looking at it from a film analysis perspective, the blue tint makes everything amazing. That movie gets 10 out of 10 because of the blue tint alone. I, like, I definitely enjoyed the movies, like, when I, when I had watched them. Mm-hmm. Or like as like not knowing like what the books how they compare to the books or anything I thought they were right. like decent movies yeah they were good and for as much as new moon was not my favorite movie like new moon was just so boring mm-hmm. that was like the whole point the book was boring I never finished the book because <laughs> it was just like Bella being sad I was like, this is lame but they did it so well in the movie which I have a fun fact about New Moon. I was watching it a couple weeks ago. Okay. Was it a couple weeks ago? I don't know. Recently, I watched it. I was watching it with my friend. And there's this scene. um, Charlie and Bella are in the living room. Charlie is watching a football game on the TV. And guess who's playing? The University of Arizona. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) Charlie was watching a U of A football game. Well, Bella is from Arizona. Yeah, so Stephanie Meyer. Okay, I didn't know Stephanie Meyer was from Arizona. <laughs> At least I think oh, she I is. Either. I'm pretty sure um, she's up from like uh, the Mesa Tempe area. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like you can't have a Twilight conversation now without 
picking which team you were. Edward, hands down. I'm Edward I, too. I'm Edward now. I was Jacob, but I honestly think it's because I thought Jacob was cuter than Edward at the time. Like it had nothing to do with like their soulmate compatibility-ness. It was just which one was cuter. <laughs> you know, that's valid. That's why I started out as Team Edward when I was younger. I was, I thought Robert Pattinson was so much cuter than Jacob. But now I'm Team Edward because he and Bella were like literally meant for each other. Right. Now I know enough to analyze their compatibility <laughs> and be like, yep, it's it's Edward. And also Jacob was just so whiny and annoying. And he's got Nessie now, so. <laughs> um, no comment on that. <laughs> yeah, that was a really weird plot point. Did not like it. The more I talk about Twilight, the more I realize why people didn't like it. I'm not sure I could look at Twilight the same way. Oh, it's still one of my favorites. (laughs) Like, I just, I just choose to ignore all the inconsistencies. Okay, but now you're thinking like a Marvel Instruments fan. (laughs) Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) We're like, it's okay. It's okay. It's wrong. It's it's okay. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> All right, it makes so much more sense now. Right? Now you, now you, now you can, uh, yeah, I get it now. Now you can I get empathize. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the quality, not the concept. Like, I just, I really don't care how it happened. I just care that it did. That's all that matters to me. Did you see the baby? Like, the animatronic they have for the baby? Oh, little resume. <laughs> I think hold on I think she started melting wait what yeah I think she started melting oh gosh um. yeah <laughs> in May 2020 an article published May 2020 she's actively melting uh, not to mention the fact that the doll is apparently actively melting and it's heavy because she's animatronic, so she won't live forever, but also maybe she'll just inhabit another body to haunt our movie viewing pleasures. That's so weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't understand why they just get, like, an actual baby and then, like, get a toddler and then get a child. Like, they did too much for that. Yeah. Well, we've talked of book adaptations past. Are there any um, upcoming adaptations you guys are looking forward to? Um, I'm really looking forward to The Firekeeper's Daughter that got picked up by the Obamas uh, for Netflix. And also Beasts of Prey got picked up for Netflix. And I talked about the Vampire Academy um, TV series that I have high hopes for at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I'm really excited for the Red Queen series. I haven't read it yet, but it's been on my TBR forever. Um, And we had just talked about that it's going to be a TV show soon. So I'm super excited for that as well. Oh, the one that I have been looking forward to the most just came out um, recently. 
uh, it's by the time this episode comes out, I think it'll be finished. But um, one of us is lying on Peacock based off of Karen M. McManus's One of Us is Lying. It's like one of my favorite books. Um, I started watching it. So far, so good. Still don't know how I feel about the casting choice, but I'll give it some time. Like, as far as staying true to the book, like, I'm pleased so far. Did the characters look how they are described in the book? Um, all but one, for me, at least. Or at least, like, okay. how I pictured them. I mean, that's still pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. And, and you know what? The, the one character that, like, I'm kind of on the casting um he's making up for it because like his personality and his attitude like really fits with the character okay so I'm I'm okay with letting it slide that he's not like how I pictured him because like he's portraying the character really well and like really that's that's what I want more so than like I would rather have a character that doesn't look the way that they're described and have a character like have that actor do the character justice mm-hmm. then have one that looks like the way the character is described and then they completely botch it right yeah I agree with that that's a good point well I really enjoyed this discussion on our adaptations <laughs> me too we were very happy to have you on with us Taylor thank you so much for chatting with us yeah I loved it thanks so much for having me thanks for listening If you liked today's episode, check us out on our website or our other social media accounts. Until next time, happy reading!